Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Today we say merci, au revoir and probably good riddance to the Coupe de la Ligue as PSG emerged victorious from the final edition of France's second cup, but only barely. Nonetheless, that's two cups in one week and a quadruple for PSG as the domestic season now comes to a close. It's a heartbreak for Bertrand Traoré, who misses Lyon's last penalty in what was their closest chance at winning a trophy since 2012. Our very own contributor, Philippe, was one of the lucky few to be there at the game, so we'll talk to him about his experience returning to football in the age of a pandemic. And later in the show, we'll also chat about transfer updates in Lille with the departure of Victor Osman and in Nice with Ronnie Lopez returning to France. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. With me today, Kale Stockwell. Hello. Hi, Philippe. Thanks for having me again. Or Pierre-Paul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can I go back on that? Do that again. Hi, Kale. Hi, Pierre-Paul. Thanks for having me again. You know, I kind of want to keep that, right? If that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have to. <laughs> you know, it happens. People get my name all wrong all the time, just so you know. Um, but, you know, I, well, I have to Well, so. Yeah, <laughs> But um, we have someone who was there, and that's Philippe Bargiel. Hey, Philippe. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, very, very um, uh, tired from this whole experience. It's extremely <laughs> tiring to... Uh, I think it was extremely tiring to watch as, as uh, you know, on, on the box, on the television. It was even more t uh, tiring to attend the game. It was very tiring to get to the game because it was very, very, very hot. Um, it wasn't that difficult to get into the stands, but then it was uh, extremely hot and uh, actually not as hot as it was supposed to be in, in central Paris, but it was still over 30 degrees in the shade. Um, mm. by kickoff time, which was 10 past nine. And uh, yeah, basically we were just uh, waiting uh, for two hours to for something to happen. And uh, then we had the penalty shoes out, which was yeah. fun because it was it was actually right in front of the PSG. And so it was very close to me. So oh. I could actually see it properly. So that was that was good. But not much it, else. It reminded me and, you know, maybe this might be for some kind of an obscure reference, but last summer I was lucky enough to go to a lot of the world matches at the Women's World Cup here in France. And one of the ones I went to was a semi-final in Lyon, which was Netherlands, Sweden. And it was, I think, the worst football match I've ever been to. And we were so bored for the whole game. Nothing was happening. It went to extra time like this one. And we were all just hoping it would go to penalties so we could actually like enjoy at least a few minutes. And right before yeah. the end, the Netherlands scored and even took away that little bit of pleasure from us. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think I may have a contender on that one because I attended a couple of games. I went to Argentina versus Japan, which was at the Parc des Princes. It was nil-nil. It was actually, uh, well, not a lot was happening, but, you know, Japan are like a, a powerhouse of women's football. Yeah. And Argentina used to get beat like 12-nil by Germany a couple of, couple of World Cups ago. And this is what you what, what you get when you're at the ground is that the the, uh, the, the play was terrible. The, I mean, it was attack versus defense. But then you had all the Argentines celebrating that like that like actually they won the World Cup celebrating a nil nil draw against Japan. That was good to see. But the game was pretty crap as well. I mean, that's fun because that Argentina team had a pretty crazy story with you know like yeah their federation yeah. stopping them from playing and so on in Argentina. I mean. Um, you know, we could talk a lot about this kind of stuff. Um, 
but yeah. Um, so anyways, back to uh, the uh, Coupe de la Ligue final. Um, you were there, Philippe, mm. uh, obviously. Why don't we start by talking about that? Because that's, you know, something quite exciting, I guess. Were you, how happy were you to go back to uh, yeah, a football stadium, even though it was not the best conditions in terms of weather, as you mentioned, and also not the most exciting match ever? Well, yes, I was excited. I was fully okay. expecting a 3-0 uh, win. It was... <laughs> Uh, but uh, the game wasn't exciting, but the whole experience is a bit grueling. Uh, if I mean, I don't want to discourage any of our listeners there because you have to wear the mask all the time. Uh, there's no, uh, shall we say, catering. I mean, proper catering because, you know, when you're in the stands, you've got um, uh, some stands where you can order food and drink basically every, every couple of yards uh, mm. with loads of queue during half time and so on and so forth. Uh, here you have almost nothing. I mean, literally nothing. And uh, you basically have to, to, to fill up before kickoff. And uh, whenever there's very few things that are open where you can actually buy food and drink. So that's something to, to consider. I was actually extremely, I mean, pleasantly surprised by how disciplined the uh, spectators around me were because it was 30 degrees uh, in the shade, it was uh, a quarter past nine, and uh, you know uh, everybody was sweating uh, horribly. But people <laughs> did keep people did keep their masks on, and I was looking around me and saying, "Okay, well, if he's he's ta- if he's taking it off, I'm taking it off. So there's absolutely no way I can stand this uh, for for an hour and a half, let alone two hours. You know, after after an hour and a half, so you know the weather uh, got a bit milder." But you know, people kept uh, kept quite uh, quite disciplined, and I think I think they were quite grateful to actually be at the ground. They were quite grateful to uh, to attend to attend the game for the first time in six months, or is it what five months, something like that? Five months today. Since August. March, so since yeah. March. I mean, I think, I think my last game was uh, was beginning of March, so something yeah, something like that. So I, I think I think they. They don't like it, but they respect it because otherwise they're not going to have that that chance for another couple of months. And that's I think that's that's a good sign because in France we've got this 5,000 uh, uh, attendance rule, so mm. 5,000 people maximum, which uh, will will or won't be uh, extended into September. I don't think the uh, government has made the decision. And to be honest, I don't think it's it's a gov- it's a government to make that decision. I think it's uh, the uh, the town in in themselves. They say, okay, uh, the virus is uh, the pandemic is controlled in our area, so we can uh, give more tickets to more people in in if if you if you if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so I, d- I don't it, think it's, it's going to become be the flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for every major town, I would say. Um, and, so and how that was, it was quite yeah. How did you get a ticket? I mean, well, how was how did the process work to choose? You know, which would be the PSG fans who who get to be there? Maybe a few hundred of you were there, and I think nine hundred instead of what would usually be, you know, something like twenty five thousand. Yeah, it didn't feel like very much because actually, it was, so the PSG fans were. If you if you look at the, at the television, if you watch the game at the television, the PSG fans are on the right hand side and the Lyon fans are on the left hand side. Am I saying this right? Um, uh, I don't even remember to be honest, but I think I think so, yeah. And uh, there were quite a few people that were under, you know, where the 
so cameras are there were quite a few people there i was actually quite surprised to be to see so many people so you're saying there was 900 PSG fans and 900 Lyon fans i'm not quite surprised because there were quite a lot of people in uh, the um, in in the uh, central stand between where the uh, where the media is basically mm-hmm. which are very, which are very good seats but all of us were in uh, the, the low end so we were quite close to the goal which i really hate because you can't really see what's yeah. going on and so how, how how did you but get the me. ticket though? Well, because I'm I'm uh, I'm still a season ticket holder. But there's more uh, than 900 uh, of them. Uh, yeah, but I think the uh, the ultras uh, boycotted uh, basically decided oh, until okay. football is back until football is back football is back. It's like it's a bad guns for Lyon. I actually saw a lot of Lyon fans, much more than I expected them to be. Uh, they probably all live in in in, uh, in suburban Paris or something, or in Paris. But um, I saw quite a few of, of young fans, and they, yeah, I think I think the bad guns, which is the uh, the ultras of Lyon, also boycotted the game because there, there were no flares, there were no chants, there was no one, um, um, shall we say, urging people to sing uh, any given song. It was it was really uh, your average Joe going to the game and uh, trying to trying to create an atmosphere when he could, which was which was quite. I mean, the atmosphere was, wasn't wasn't too bad, but it's it's not like there was there was the Colisi uh, Fulcabay on one side and the Balgo on, on the other side. It just was, it, it was it was much more much more you know uh, of a some kind of a Sunday league game, but you know with yeah. world class players. I, I was gonna ask, you know, oftentimes when you go to a kind of low attendance match, because there's so few people there, everybody can kind of hear what people are saying. You can hear the players shouting at each other. You can hear other fans they're kind of yeah. shouting things at specific players and and even see the players reacting to to those shouts was there any of that going on there was a, a lot of words uh, aimed at uh, Anthony Lopez yeah so oh. some things about, about his family and stuff but That's... I don't think I don't think any of it is true uh, but he didn't he didn't react but honestly I, I I'm I'm positive he heard us them then because I'm not you know, yeah. I don't do that. I don't do that type of thing out there. But I think the goalkeepers ground. are used to but it. I mean, that I think, they get I that think, a lot, think, especially Lopez. Are, with, yeah. with so many, so, so few people, I think he he could he could hear hear it much more yeah. distinctly. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the same thing went on as, uh, at the other way with Kaylor Navas when he was playing right in front of the Lyon fans. I mean, mm. it's you know that's just how it is. It's well, I'm not I'm not condoning it or, or anything, but it's just. You know, um, part and parcel of the game in France, if you will. I guess so, yeah. Mm. All right, Kale, are you still with us? I'm still here. I was enjoying that. Yeah, I, I, so was I. Uh, I haven't called on you uh, for a little while because we were. Uh, it was quite fascinating to hear that, Philippe. Um, so, Kale, why don't we why don't we talk about the game and and get started with you there? Uh, you know, wh- what were your first impressions? Your kind of main impressions, outtakes from from this match. Uh, which went on uh, quite long, obviously with extra time and so on. I think uh, Philippe bringing up the heat is probably maybe the most important aspect in yeah. the sense that both sides just kind of looked tired. You know, I, I thought Lyon came out hard. They looked like they really wanted to play and press. And then I think after that first water break, we saw Leo Dubois at the sideline getting treatment. And I think the reality set in that we just can't play with this type of tempo and this type of pace, obviously over 90 minutes, but for even any extended period of time, really. And I think 
from that moment on, the match really slowed. Both clubs looked both tired from the heat, but also I think you probably saw some of the rust and uh, lack of fitness from such a long layoff. And I think that was sort of the main calling card of the match. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, you brought up Dubois looking hurt. Philippe, this is something that maybe you missed from, from the stadium because we had all these TV shots, like close-ups on, on the bench. And we saw a lot of ice packs being applied to a lot of different players' legs. I mean, Dubois was one, but there was Kurzava, there was, uh, who was, uh, Paredes, Icardi. No, not Paredes, sorry. Icardi was one. And, uh, geez, I can't remember. Um, oh, Icardi actually played. Oh, well. It's just a, a joke we were having at halftime with the fans and saying, I mean, we, we can't really blame him for, for not for not appearing into the game because of the, of the system, because he needed two wingers to be effective. But uh, I didn't think Neymar had a particularly good game by his standards, and I don't think Neymar, Di Maria had a pretty good game full stop. So if you don't, if he doesn't have Neymar or Di Maria around him, mm. so he he can't really exist. Given that I I thought that Lyon's back three was pretty solid, and that the midfield did a did a pretty good job uh, on our midfield, which wasn't we didn't have a particularly great night apart from Virati, who showed showed again uh, that he's uh, yeah he's still he's still a very very much an able uh, central midfielder, keeping the ball and uh, just distributing, even even under pressure. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it was it was it was uh, quite clear that uh, he was our best player this evening. But again, Icardi, going back to your question, there's a lot of things that you can't see when you're that close to the players, and that's why I prefer to be high up in the stands. And and I think people need to, need to probably realize this uh, before they maybe plan on going to a game or something. I think uh, chances are you're going to be uh, right down uh, in the lower tier of the stands and you won't be able to go in the upper tier because there's no really need for you to be there, which is a shame really because mm. if you want to, to have a global view of the game, then it's, uh, I mean, my opinion is that it's better to be uh, to be uh, higher up in, in the stadium, but some people love to be, uh, to be uh, you know, um, on the floor and actually hearing the players uh, speaking mm-hmm. to each other or insulting each other or the, even the managers, uh, you know, giving instructions, even if it, if it is Bruno Genesio, you know, or some, somebody else, it's just something uh, that some people like. I, I don't really, don't really see the point, but I think that if we keep that kind of attendance, like the 5,000 or maybe a bit, more i think we'll just have to 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 get used to it until until some something else happens another business model if you will I, but so far I, yeah I, li- I like to mix it up the seating in the stadium and I, let me share with you guys one story which has nothing to do with this game but just because you mentioned sitting near the manager and hearing what he says um i was in london a couple of years ago with a friend and we went to qpr leeds and we had seats the cheapest seats in the stadium were actually just next to the away team's bench because the bench kind of obscured one corner of the pitch. Like it was a blocked view basically on a small corner. Um, yeah. So that's why it was cheapest. And that's how we got to sit there. And we were just three meters away from Marcelo Bielsa and his assistant for the whole match, which I think we we spent more time watching the two of them kind of getting up and down and shouting and so on. It was 
absolutely fascinating um a terrific experience but uh did, did, you, did you have a, so you didn't have a pillar in the way we had the bench if you would like there was like a you know like a roof on the bench yeah and that kind of st- i mean it only really uh, blocked uh, you know the corner on the far like on on our side of the pitch but down at the other end um and you know we would kind of have to lean forward when that happened and sometimes not know if the ball went out or not but you know you could still see the whole game pretty much um but this is very recent though because uh i mean bielsa has been at Leeds not too long for two yeah yeah this was in in uh hold on in 2019 was it yeah not even two years ago in february i think okay okay so it was uh, a bit over a year ago then that's right right well, I had a pillar in the way, but that's that's just Loftus Road. It's a bit like Craven Cottage. You you just get pillars in in the way, and you just you know learn to live with it. Yeah. Just get on with it. But it's not. It's a. It's a. I. It's a. It's 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 great that the old stadium have stadium have have kept this, even though if you did pay something like one hundred pounds for for that kind of view, you you probably won't be happy about it. Oh but, no no, yeah. I, I it was a lot less for me. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know, West, West London is, is expensive. That is true. That yeah. is true. But championship, I would recommend to anybody. Yeah, um, championship is great. Although league two prices are the best, five euros to get in. I just, you know. Anyways, <laughs> we, we we digress. There was a lot yes. to unpack in what you were saying about uh, PSG's animation, Philippe. Um, I kind of agreed with you uh, about Di Maria. I didn't think he had, he had a good game. Icardi, um, I think our, our, our friend Clinton pointed out on Twitter at halftime that Icardi touched the ball eight times in the first half. That doesn't mean, as, as he explained to me, he didn't receive the ball eight separate times. He actually physically made contact with the ball eight times, which means, you know, one time when he dribbled, that was several touches. Um, so that's very little. And we've seen that before in some games from him. It's kind of worrying. And Neymar, I thought... Um, had a lot of good ideas, um, you know, good passes, uh, good, you know, he tried some nice shots and, and tried some nice dribbles, but a lot of the time it just didn't really work, um, especially the dribbling, I thought. But Kale, I don't know if, if you want to add any thoughts uh, about that. And, and also, I mean, we haven't really mentioned, but that was a 4-3-3, um, because if I guess if PSG had stayed with the 4 4 2 Sarabia would have had to start. There would have been no attacking players on the bench apart from Chupo. I thought, honestly, it looked a lot like that first leg against Dortmund when mm-hmm. Tuchel switched the formation kind of out of nowhere. And I think in that match, he went with a 3-4-3. And for almost that entire match, PSG looked like they just didn't really fully understand what they were supposed to be doing. And I think... This switch to the 4-3-3 resulted in very similar things tactically, where Neymar doesn't want to hold that position on the line. Like, he doesn't want to players. He's What he's been doing so well all year is dropping down into midfield, and he's playing this mix of creator and attacker. But what happens in that 4-3-3 is he drops off the line. Accardi just does not engage in nearly enough movement. I, you know... I think we could say that Accardi needs service. Accardi, you know, is a is a box player. 
he's efficient when he gets the ball in the right areas, but like that performance is just nowhere near good enough. Like if that's what he's going to deliver against Atalanta, PSG are in so much trouble. Like he doesn't move. He doesn't stretch the play. He doesn't drop back in between the lines to link players. He was effectively pointless for 55 minutes. I think a lot of the, I think any sort of difficulty that Di Maria and Neymar had, you can, like so much of that stems from just the just what Cardi isn't doing. I think when Sarabia came on in the 55th minute, I think it was, it mm-hmm. completely changed the dynamic of the front line. It was like, oh, here's a player that's going to run in behind. Here's a player that's going to switch positions. Here's a player that's going to be more fluid. Here's a guy that's going to defend. And all of a sudden, you know, PSG weren't great, but they at least had some opportunities to score, mostly Sarabia going behind the back line. I, I just I don't know how that's tenable going forward with a Cardi in that four through three doing so little. I, I just can't see it working. And that's what he does, though, isn't it? I mean, he's yeah. he's a he's a, he's very much a, a fox in the box type of striker. I mean, you, you can you can criticize him all you want, but if he if he does score, then he he does. I mean, his last hand was not much was not that much different from from what Icardi did when he didn't when he didn't score. Just he probably had had more of an impact on you know physically on the on the defenders. But that's what Icardi does. I mean, if if you if you want him to score, he needs good service. And if he's not going to be good service, he is going to be pointless. I think Tuchel made a good choice taking him out. I think yeah. at halftime, though, I probably would have made that switch. Like he was doing so little up to that point, and PSG were having so much trouble generating anything. It just seemed like, why are we even giving this guy ten more minutes? Like, I mean, Clinton <laughs> said he had eight touches. Like he could have had zero. You know, he was doing yeah. so little on ball. It seemed. No, I mean that's what I—I uh, um, I was actually uh, speaking to a fellow fan at halftime, and I was actually because I don't really watch the uh, the, uh, the lineups before a game, and uh, I was uh, actually uh, fishing for—I I was actually wanting him, uh, wanting him to confirm to me that he was actually playing because I wasn't even sure by <laughs> by halftime because you know I was I was uh, behind uh, behind uh, Kalo Navas. And Ikadi was playing way, way all over the other, the other end. And I thought, well, maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's Super Moting. Maybe it's Mbappe playing with one, one, one leg or something. But it's just, we just, we just, I just had no idea who was our centre forward. I could see Di Maria, I could see Neymar, but just couldn't see who was playing uh, centre forward. That's how, that's how good he was. We say. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of the uh, midfield? Yeah. Midfield? I... Well, well, I was going to ask you guys. I mean. Idrissa Gay, we've kind of observed, is not exactly the kind of uh, the non-stop engine that people were hoping for PSG. People were saying, oh, this guy can be like Kante when he's not the same player as Kante, obviously. Um, yeah. And that people have, I mean, the reaction seems to be based on the Saint-Étienne game last week and based on this one again, that he doesn't really, isn't really carrying, doesn't really have that weight in midfield that, that, was hope from him. I don't know if he's being used wrong. I have to say, it's not a player that, you know, I don't know him well enough as a player to be able to say that. But what are your thoughts? I think, I think people are overestimating him after this Real Madrid performance against. That's Adobe. possible too. Yeah. Real Madrid side would say, okay, Idris Agüe is that type of player. He's going to do great things for us all the time. But uh, I think people don't bear in mind 
the fact that Real Madrid were extremely poor that evening. They were playing with uh, subpar players who were not fit, who were not in form. Uh, the formation was rubbish. Uh, basically, they were not not playing very well. And of course, Idris Agey had a very good game. So everybody thought, OK, that guy's going to going to be world class. He's not going to be world class. He's going to be a good player. But, um, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I honestly don't uh, see him as, as reliable as a Virati or, or Marquinhos. I mean, he got he, he got quite criticised uh, this evening. And, and the trouble for for PSG is going to be, you know, how to change this up before Atalanta. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of a shame that we we're only talking about that. Everybody's kind of looking at this through the prism of Atalanta and not a trophy, but it's also unavoidable at this point. Mbappe won't be back, so it's going to be hard to change the the front line. I mean, I think he can play. He won't be one hundred percent fit, but I think it's possible he could play. But, but would you play him if he's not 100%? Like, is it really worth no. it? No. Yeah, that's the thing. No, well, actually, I mean, you know, if, 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 you're, if you're a hopeful PSG fan and, uh, and you think uh, that we can beat Atalanta, maybe I would. But I think uh, maybe I, I, would, I would probably uh, bring him on at halftime, hoping for a miracle. That's possible. Because I think there's... I think... I think this this for me this match and what I worry about going forward for them against Atalanta is this squad looked like there were just so many passengers you know like Cardi mm-hmm. wasn't doing much I thought neither of the fullbacks were good again well and I thought can the, we say that midfield was kind of jumbled Kurzawa was asked to start at right back because you know all the right backs yeah, are out Munier is gone of course and Carrer and uh, and uh, Dagba weren't available for this one I mean when you Think about. Okay, well, you know. came on, didn't he? Oh, he did. Oh, right. Oh, right. When yeah, sorry. Of course, when Kurzawa came off, which I've already mentioned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but he was kind of he took he took a knock on 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 uh, last Friday. Um, but still, Kurzawa. I mean, we all know his uh, crossing quality. And then you put you're asking him to cross with his wrong foot. That was always going to be difficult for him, I think. Yeah, it's high enough for the left foot. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But what what do you guys make of, of Baker? I mean, I mean, he it's 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 it really is um, uh, it's, it's strange because for some people he's absolutely rubbish, and for, for others he's very promising. I mean, I didn't think he he was he was he was okay. I thought he didn't do any mistakes. He he's not he hasn't got a presence going forward. That's you know I'll give mm. him I'll give I'll give the critics that. But no, wasn't that I thought it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I, I think he's safe, but I don't think he really gives you a whole lot else. No, it's hard to know him. Like we've only seen him twice, or I, maybe he played one game last season too. But that's the same. I mean, yeah, you can you can see he's not exactly the kind of, well, not yet maybe the kind of level that PSG would want. Um, but you know, he's only twenty, so maybe he's a guy with a lot of potential. I, I don't. We can't really judge that just yet. I don't think. Um, I think the, con- the, the concerning thing is, sorry, <laughs> I think the concerning thing is uh, the way that PSG play and the way that Neymar and uh, Di Maria want to play, you really, really need those fullbacks to be high and up the pitch and really creating most of the width. And, uh, and then when they get the ball on the wings, being able to combine and find space in behind and without like the dynamism of someone like Bernat or even like Munier wasn't a perfect 
fullback, but at least he was able to put more pressure on the back line. I think you're yeah, seeing more of the limitations in the center of the pitch. Yeah. They're just lacking that thrust because there's they they have to progress centrally. And I think Lyon did a really good job of, especially in this match, saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna play a three man back line and then we're gonna play kind of this diamond and just really clog up the space and not give them anywhere to go. Yeah, I think so, that's, a, that's that's a very good point. They should sign maybe Maxwell Cornet. <laughs> Actually, so your your fullbacks were better than ours. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't the same formation, granted, but uh, I always waited Leo Dubois and um, and Fernando Marcel was a. Uh, I always I always thought he was in a very able uh, able fullback. So I don't know. It's uh, it's I, I don't know if it's going. Uh, are we sure Bernat is going to miss Atalanta though? So. Uh. Jeez, I, I don't remember what the latest is. I mean, they were both kind of touch and go. Bernat and Dagba were both kind of touch and go for this one, I think. Um, so in 12 days' time, it should be good, I think, unless there's problems in between. Um, it can't be a good sign, though, is, uh, is it? I mean, no. today's first. Uh, the game is on the 12th, so it's in 11 days. And uh, Bernat has, hasn't played a single game of preparation a champion for for, the, for well, arguably the biggest the biggest game of PSG season for they're, for they're playing another friendly though Philippe I mean I didn't know this until yesterday but they're playing a friendly yes, against yes. Sochaux yes against Sochaux so yeah. So sure. yeah. <laughs> um so let's talk about Lyon a little bit because we've kind of yeah. ignored yeah. them I, I'm happy to start by mentioning that you know I was disappointed by Musa Dembele who really did not have a really good game there was one chance where he was set up perfectly and he just kind of uh, whiffed it if I if I remember correctly, and I thought he should have come off before the 80th minute. Um, you know, Toko Kambi looked a little bit sharper than him. Um, but yeah, what what were your guys' thoughts on 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 Lyon on that team selection with Maxi, Maxence Cacré starting? That was a that was an interesting choice as well. Um, maybe I'll be perhaps a little bit too hard on Lyon. I mean, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. They defended really well and admirably, and they worked really hard. I thought Kakare was a, was a really good. He's such a good pressing player, and he works so hard. I, I think he brings so much to that team. So I was really excited to see him play. But honestly, I thought PSG were kind of there for the taking, and I felt like mm-hmm. as the game went on, Lyon just looked more and more resigned to get to extra time and to get to penalties, and that disappointed me a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought as well that Lyon didn't take enough risk at some point. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, they started the first half with some with some interesting pressing. Um, and But then there came situations where you could see the positioning and the pressing was good, but there just wasn't enough kind of uh, effort or intensity in it. And PSG could kind of, even in, in closed spaces, make some passes which looked fairly slow and still not really be deranged or uh, like uh, disturbed by, by that Lyon press. That started happening later in the first half. And then in the second half in particular, I thought, and even an extra time, they were less motivated to go forwards as, as a team. I mean, the players would be, their forwards would be isolated too often. And one thing which I thought was very disappointing too was whenever Lyon got a free kick in PSG's half, you know those free kicks that are not within shooting range, but you can, you know, set it up as an attacking set piece. You send up your defenders who have a goal-scoring ability which Lyon has, right? Guys like Denayer and, and Marcelo, and when he came on, Anderson. Those guys can can win a header. 
and they just weren't doing that. They would just play those free kicks kind of backwards or or like a, a short side pass. And that's when you could see, you know, they were not going to take that risk of, of trying to go up there and, and and get something from that chance. And I was disappointed to to see that definitely as the as the game moved on. Yeah. It's a shame. It really is a shame that they weren't um, ambitious enough in, in their gameplay. I mean, I'm pretty sure they could have um, caused us much more pro- uh, problems if they actually took took this uh, final seriously attacking-wise. It's, it's a very really gassy thing of, uh, of, uh, uh, to do, basically. I mean, I think... Uh, <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, I don't think he's actually set up his team to attack to actually win the, the final, which is a shame because uh, beating us in uh, a Kuga League final just before a massive game next Friday against Juve would have been great for the confidence. But I, I still think you, uh, you would get great confidence from that performance. They didn't concede a goal, no. That's true. Lopez was very good. Yeah, it was, yeah. I think Philippe makes a good point about Garcia too, in that like when you look man for man through that Lyon squad, which is a little bit shaky, but the forward line and the midfield, those are some really good players. Like mm-hmm. I think most teams would want to have guys like Bruno Guimaraes and uh, Hussam Awar and Maxence Kakare in their midfields. And most people would want to have Moussa Dembele and Memphis Depay up front. And you feel like, okay, this is a group of players that can do something and put pressure and, and create scoring opportunities, but you have to put them in a position to actually do that. And mm-hmm. I just feel like Garcia just decided this not worth it. I'm, I'm not going to risk it. And that, I, it was just disappointing to see. I expect more from Lyon. They're supposed to be holding PSG to account, and I felt like they sort of fell short in that match. But maybe that's okay, Maybe that's how you will work against Juve, um, given their one-goal lead, you know? I'm going to go on the limb here and say that mm-hmm. maybe Marcelo played better without the ultras uh, on his back because he's been at war with them uh, ever yeah. since uh, I think his wife got uh, meddled with uh, uh, some insults he got from uh, the, the ultras from Lyon. And there you had just the fans, not that the ultras are not fans. And I thought it was probably one of his most solid performances of the season. Um, didn't they make up at some point? I mean, there was some kind of, I don't remember exactly, but. I think it was, it was made for, you know, to be politically correct or something like that. But I think there's still very much some, uh, bad blood between them. Um, and then, I mean, we haven't talked yet about the final moments, which were the most exciting part, really. Um, Raphael oh, yes. got a red card and it all happened before your eyes. If I understand your, your seating correctly, yeah. Philippe. Yeah. Um, Raphael made the ultimate sacrifice of, of picking up red card to avoid a goal-scoring chance, which, I don't know, did you guys think uh, that could have been dangerous? There was another defender there, too. Also, I would have given yellow, honestly. Mm-hmm. Of course, all the people around me were screaming for red. Rouge, rouge, rouge. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Neymar skied it, uh, you know, in a very... <laughs> disappointing way um, but I didn't think it was that but I mean it didn't feel like a goal scorer opportunity because Rafael was not the last defender it's not like Neymar was in on goal first of all he wasn't central he wasn't centrally and he had and there were a lot of I mean, not a lot but a couple of other Lyon defenders could, could have intervened so to me that was a yellow mm. and then we had the penalty shootout and Kale, we were talking about this before the match 
but uh, uh, before the uh, podcast, sorry. But, um, you know, I was hoping before every Lyon penalty, please not Bertrand Traoré. And, and I really don't mean, I don't want to be mean. You know, I don't like doing that to kind of add misery to players who are already criticized and disliked by their fans. But um, in, the, in the nicest possible way, uh, you know, that's, that's just a kind of an opinion that I, I have about him, that he's not that good for Lyon. But um, and I'll tell you it's a good save, though. Was- yeah, but I'm I'm sorry, but I would I mean I was the only one who was less than impressed with Navas as a goalkeeper in the penalty shootout. I didn't I didn't think that the penalties were, were I extremely it's... well taken. And well, I, he could have saved I, the one from Toko, right? That's yeah, yeah, because he was but, there. But I don't know. I thought he it doesn't... was pretty. It was pretty fine margins. Like mm. he he made the right guess a couple times and got close. I, I think that's yeah. just, you know, it's a game roulette. Like, sometimes you just get enough of the ball and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a lot closer to those penalties than Lopez was. I didn't think he was anywhere near any of them except for the first one. But I, I think there were better takers against Lopez. Because if you look at how, you know, Verratti or, or Neymar oh, right. took them, they were waiting for Lopez to move. I mean, it's kind of hard to do anything when you're him in that position. Those guys were just so, so calm and they were really good penalties, I have to say. And the one that Navas probably should have saved was um, Carl Tokoy-Kambi's, which when he was walking over, and you know, I think he's a good player, but when I saw his kind of facial expression there, I was also a little bit worried. I, I, he didn't look like very serene to me, um, but you know, luckily for him, it still went in. If it ever gets to this in Lisbon and we get a penalty shootout against Atalanta, I don't think I would be quite confident. And I have no <laughs> idea who the goalkeeper of Atalanta is, but it's just... It's just my gut feeling. It's just when when you're sitting behind him and they said, you know, that guy, we, we used to have some decent penalty savers. I mean, I honestly would have taken Jérôme Alonso over over Keylor Navas uh, this evening because, you know, it just didn't inspire me with confidence. Not not to say that he's a bad shot stopper, but, yeah. So PSG won. And yeah. uh, as I mentioned in the intro, this was the last ever uh, Coupe de la Ligue. So I wanted to ask you guys... Uh, you know, are, are you going to miss it? And what was your favorite memory in the history of the 26-year history of the Coupe de la Ligue? I will not miss the Coupe de la Ligue. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's more than enough fixtures in the year to fill it out. I don't think that these League Cups are necessary anymore. I think these guys play so much football now. It's crazy. And this is just an unnecessary bulk of fixtures in the middle of the year that we don't need um if i have to pick a favorite i don't know i'll go recently and say you know strasbourg winning the coupe de la ligue after coming all the way back from nowhere in french football was pretty exciting i'm not gonna miss it um i actually prefer the coupe de la ligue to coupe de france because of all the sponsors i I never quite got why we put all these sponsors and point p and you know France Television on, on all these on all these shirts. I know it's for it's probably for money, but uh, I mean nobody else does it. I mean no one. When there's a cup game, you don't change your sponsors. When there's a Pocard game, you don't change your sponsors. But anyway, that's me. Uh, I'm still not going to miss it because uh, actually a lot of people in French football um, uh, they uh, they actually mistake the Coupe de la Ligue for the Coupe de France. And everybody, everybody says, oh, there's a, there's a PSG Marseille match in the, in the Coupe de la Ligue. And then you say, no, it's a Coupe de France. And then they say, what's the difference? 
and you have to actually explain the difference, which is very, very, very mild in terms of the calendar, because um, yeah. <laughs> both com both competitions are played in midweek, except the final, um, and except the very, very first round of the of the French Cup, which is played on the same weekend as FA Cup third round day. So other than that, the Coupe de la Ligue and Coupe de France are exactly the same thing, with usually PSG winning at the end. So well, I mean, it's it, I think it's good that it's just one cup competition. I can I just say I don't necessarily yeah. agree with that because the reason I'm not going to miss the Coupe de la Ligue is that it's only the professional teams and that they don't really care and they just kind of no. play their B teams until they kind of until someone makes it to the semi-final and only PSG like recently anyways only PSG has been winning because of that in part um, whereas in the Coupe de France because literally any club in France can take part that is something special that's added to it. And once the professional teams start coming in, you have them playing against amateur teams, and the amateur teams are playing for their lives. Basically, it's the biggest game they'll ever get. And the professional right. teams are also motivated to a certain extent because it's quite embarrassing if you lose to those teams. And so from the in, even in the earlier stages, there's more excitement. And then once you get to kind of the later rounds, um, obviously, you know, people have more reason to play once they realize they have a chance. So... Uh. We agree on not missing Coupe de la Ligue, but yeah. uh, different reasoning, I guess. But w what's well, your favorite memory then, Philippe? Well, actually, my favorite memory would be a PSG defeat, which was in 2000 or 2001 <laughs> against okay. a, a very small uh, town, uh, a very small club, which is which are now in Division 5, I think, or 4. That which is, is right. Called the foot there is a football club de Guignon. Uh, Uh, so Guignon beat Paris Saint-Germain in the French Cup final 2-0. Uh, so they were in the second division at the time. They had a great side. And uh, actually, my my uh, my dad comes from there, from that area. And uh, that was way before I, I went to <laughs> I went to games with PSG and uh, we're all supporting Guignon. We didn't go to the game, but uh, it was it was great to see. Uh, I mean, the complete. I mean, it's not a shithole or anything, but it's it's really very very small. And then then beating a big Paris Saint Germain who were already winning domestic cups. I mean, we've always we've always been a club that won domestic cups, but uh, that was that was a that was a great moment. Which is not to say, you know, there has been some very forgettable Coupe de la Ligue finals, just like this one, mm. just like this one. I remember a Lyon versus Marseille, uh, which was extremely poor ten uh, years ago, I think, and Bandel scored in extra time. Absolutely shocking game. Right well, anyway. I, I was going to say that. My favorite memory, now that you bring that up, my favorite memory is when Marseille won it three times in a row under Didier Deschamps between 2010 and 2012. I've always felt like that was a bit of an underappreciated achievement um, because, I mean, Deschamps is is a winner. And even though yeah. the last season at Marseille was pretty terrible in Ligue 1, they finished like, like 11th or something. Um, the fact that they still won that cup three times in a row says something about him and you know Brandao was kind of the hero of those three <laughs> wins and then went on to win a fourth with Saint-Étienne the following year um, which you know I thought it was a lot of fun at the time following that kind of stuff right so that's all we have on the Coupe de la Ligue and uh, you know the last ever GFFN show on the Coupe de la Ligue until some TV channel agrees to hand over more money than than currently and they resuscitate it in like three years or something um we'll see what the developments are 
well they have said if they bring it back it's it's gonna it's looking like a different format so maybe it'll be interesting anyways um but uh philippe thanks for joining us it was great to have you on thank you and we'll now move on to the transfer uh stories which we recorded earlier today without philippe just me and kale so kale uh the first story we're going to talk about here is uh the big news from friday the confirmation that Victor Osman will be leaving Lille, will be leaving Ligue 1 after only one year and joining Napoli for 81.3 million euros. Uh, are you going to miss him, first of all? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll definitely miss Victor Osman. I thought he was just a fantastic player to watch last season. I His goals were wonderful. He was dynamic. He made Lille... He, he, shouldn't say he made Lille exciting. He kept Lille exciting, especially mm. early in the season while they were sort of going through some of their little wobbles. He, I think, kept them on their feet for a while there until they sort of figured things out. I think it's a it's a loss for, for Liga for sure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And and such a shame just to, after only one season uh, where he was so good to see him go so fast. Um, but there we go. There we have it. It's a record sale for Lille who... Uh, beat the amount that they got for Nicola Pepe last summer by 1.3 million euros. And if you ask me, that sounds very intentional. That sounds very much like <laughs> Luis Campos trying to beat his own personal record, you know. Um, but w- what do you think, what is he going to bring to this Napoli team? Uh, how might he fight, fit in with uh, Gattuso is still the manager there, isn't he? Still the manager there, Yikes. yeah. <laughs> I think I think he'll be good for this Napoli team. I mean, I think that the thing with Osimhen is he's still a work in progress. I think if you're expecting him to come in and be this sort of immediate $80 million man, that's probably hoping for a little bit too much. I think probably 65, maybe 60% of this transfer is based on potential. I think Napoli still have some work to do. I think he's not the greatest yet at holding the ball up. He's not the best at combining with players through the middle of the field. But I think what they're getting immediately is a really dynamic player, a quick player, a fearless player who's more than capable of putting the ball in the back of the net when he receives it in the box, I think. I think he's going to fit in well. I think the way that Gattuso has changed that team, it's more of a counter-attacking team now than it was ever under Ancelotti and especially under Sarri. So I think immediately you could throw Osimhen in there and he would be fully capable of adapting and looking good. Yeah, which is a big difference with like uh, Nicola Pepe, for example, because Osimhen is coming from a counter-attacking team to another, counting, uh, to another uh, counter-attacking team, whereas Pepe... Is going went from a from a counterattacking team to a pressing team, and we've kind of seen that this season that that was one of his difficulties. So it, it does look like a good step in, the, in that respect, Tosman, and he should probably fit in there, you know, as as fast as he fit in, in at Lille, which was uh, quite phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think that lends to his character too. You know, we shouldn't skirt over that. Like the, mm-hmm. his ability to come from Charleroi and step into that Lille side and just instantly make an impact i think you know the first quarter of the season he was really the story of the season the, the amount of goals he was scoring the way he was just turning league on defenses i think you got to give him credit for that and you've got to assume that he can keep that kind of thing up in italy yeah that's right and uh, so 
just a couple more numbers to kind of wrap it right around this. Lille bought him for 12.5 million euros, so they're making quite a big uh, uh, profit off of that transfer. Um, you might see somewhere in, in some places that there's a bonus associated to this. Really, the bonus is including into the the total that we've given, which is 81.3, because it's a it's a guaranteed bonus, uh, meaning that whenever he leaves Napoli, whether it's a transfer or uh, or uh, you know the end of his contract, Napoli will be sending 10 million euros uh, to Lille, and they've uh, so they're sending this summer 71 million uh, plus the 10 million to come one day. So that's where the total of 81 comes from, and then there's another deal which hasn't gotten as much attention but is, is kind of a curious thing between Lille and Napoli also from today which is Lille actually purchasing three players from Napoli Claudio Manzi 20 years old Ciro Palmieri 20 years old and Luigi Ligori Liguori maybe 22 years old um, I know we've never heard of any of those uh, it seems quite strange because uh, so apparently according to L'Equipe the total for those three deals is about 20 million euros and they're being loaned back immediately to Napoli. Napoli will be paying their salaries, and Lille will only be paying the transfer money once those players do come and join the Lille squad. Um, so, you know, something to keep an eye on there. Clearly, if you look at the two transactions, it looks like Lille and Napoli are kind of uh, structuring the payments such that you know this can look but look good in their books. For this season or, or next season, or according to what their needs are, I don't think you and I, Kale, are know exactly what's going on um, with you know their their accounting, I guess. Um, but Kale, there is another story from Lille. Uh, they have bought Sven Botman from Ajax, and they are also looking to buy a Canadian international who was also like Ozeman, top scorer in Belgium, and uh, I'll. I'll I have to leave that one to you, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, so first up, uh, Botman. And I, to be honest, I don't know much about Botman. He played at uh, Heronvane last year. And I have to admit, I didn't watch a lot of Heronvane. So uh, I actually asked or asked around and uh, I asked one of uh, one of the uh, uh, a trusted source on uh, Dutch football, uh, Eric Elias, who runs uh, Between the Posts. And sort of put to him, what do you think of this Botman character and what do you think of the deal? And he said to me that he's a solid player. He's left footed. He's tall. He said he's really good in the air. He's good with his feet. He did mention, though, that um, he's not sure or there are a lot of questions in the Netherlands about whether he's going to be up to the physicality of the French League. And also that a lot of people were shocked to see him go to Lille for so much money. So, I mean, I guess there are a few question marks there, although it's hard to doubt Luis Campos these days. Um, but certainly, I, I imagine he'll be in the running to take over Gabriel's minutes along with uh, uh, Diogo Jalo. Thiago Jalo, sorry. And uh, I guess we'll just see how that plays out. Um as for the Canadian international, that's someone I know a lot about. Canadians, <laughs> we have to. It's in all our contracts. So uh, they're lo- they're looking to buy Jonathan David uh, from Ghent. And uh, he is I, apparently, according to Lekeep, in an interview he didn't Lekeep, he really wants to end up at Lille. Uh, I think, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, but I think David is a fantastic player. He's only 20. Uh, he's been spectacular in Belgium. Uh, he 
could work really well in Gauthier's 4-2-2-2 system. I think he's his movement is incredible. I think the one thing you get when you watch David is he's so elusive. The way that he can disguise himself and hide in a defense is is unbelievable. He scores almost no goals from outside the box, which maybe that sounds like a uh, criticism, but it's really not. It's just shows his ability to to get free and find space and and just make goals happen all on his own. I'm quite amazed that when I search Jonathan David in Google, he is the first guy to show up. Um, the whole <laughs> page is only about football. Maybe Google just knows that I search a lot about football, but um, you know, his his <laughs> stock is really rising. I mean, it, it, to be honest, from a Canadian perspective, it's really strange because <laughs> two years ago, you know, I would try and pitch or talk to people about Jonathan David and they had absolutely no interest in talking about this striker <laughs> at Ghent. And now, you know, two years later, he's all over the place. I think the Europa League uh, season that he had last year, I think really pushed his name out mm. into the limelight. It's quite amazing for Canada to have two famous players now at, at the same time with Alfonso Davies. <laughs> um, We're really pushing our luck. <laughs> gone are the days of the lonely junior hoylet um right um let's move on to uh um ronnie lopez who earlier this week he signed for nice on loan from sevilla sevilla bought him last summer for 25 million euros from from monaco and he barely played he only played 15 matches in all competitions uh kale i remembered Ronnie Lopez being very good from Monaco, for Monaco, but I couldn't really remember when that was, and I had to look it up. <laughs> what 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 memories do you have from him at Ligue 1? I think he was a, I mean, he was a strong Ligue 1 player. I think he had, what was the, his best year in Monaco? Maybe 2017, I want to yeah, say. 17-18, he had 17 goals and 12 assists. That was the year after the title, and and I think he was basically carrying the team that season. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's shown in the past that he's definitely capable of scoring goals and creating moments in Vigo. I mean, I was a little bit, I was disappointed with him at Sevilla. I don't know if it was, I don't know, to be fair, if, if we should read too deeply into his time at Sevilla. I think Julian Lopetegui, the... Julian Lopetegui, the manager there, kind of picked, had his favorites. Mm. And pretty early, it was clear that Lopez just wasn't one of them. And so he just didn't see many minutes. And to be honest, he just didn't have many opportunities to to change Lopetegui's mind. So I think this happens Isn't it crazy? Sometime. You know, they buy a guy for 25 million euros and then that happens. I, I mean, I know we've had these crazy prices in football for years now, but I still sometimes you know, can't get over it, really. Well, they they broke or they set the, their transfer record twice last summer. Uh, and Lopez okay. was one of them at 25. And then the other one was Jules Koundé, who, who had oh, right. yeah. like just an incredible year. So it just goes to you like you hit and you miss. And, and that's how this works sometimes. I think for Nice, he's a nice little addition. Like obviously, they've lost some players or sold some players in Ganogo and uh, Unas. So that's all from us today. Thank you, Kale, for joining us. For all the latest French football news, you can follow GFN on Twitter at GFFN. 
and look at our website for our great stories uh, at getfootballnewsfrance.com. And as always, thank you for listening.